0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series Uncensored. Last week, in our look at the first part of the Lord's Prayer, we found that it's all about a relation with God and our attitude toward God. Today, Lead Pastor David Fosselt shows us in the second part that it's about God's providing forgiving and strengthening us. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us discover the meaning for what God does, why it's important, and what are some practical applications for us, and how all this should affect our prayer life.
1: How many feel like Ben Stiller sometimes when you have to pray out loud, right? front of other people. We've all been there at some point in time. We're in the middle of our series going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's called Uncensored. Last week and this week we've been talking about prayer. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer so we don't ever get stuck in situations like we just watched. Where we're, we're trying and we're supposed to pray and we're not sure what to pray so on and so forth. If you have your Bibles or your phones, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you using one of the church Bibles, it's page 970. I'm going to reference it at some point in time. It's going to be important. If you worked with us last week, let me catch you up on what we covered last week. The Lord's Prayer starts, and the whole first section or part one, right, it's, it's focused towards God. So this is what we covered last week. My relationship with God. I get to call Him a father. You embrace Christ as your Savior. That's a privilege that you and I have. You don't you don't address Him as a four-star general, a principal, or a judge. He gets to be your dad. Huge privilege. My attitude toward God. I want to hallow His name, which means to respect Him and to honor Him. Uh, my priority in my prayer life when I start is His kingdom. Not my kingdom, not my career, not my stuff, not my family. We're going to start with, with His kingdom. So that's part one. Part one is a God-focused, directed prayer. Immediately, though, it shifts, and part two, it now becomes personal. There's a personal focus to our prayer life. So part two, let's put it up there on the screen. Today we're going to talk about these three things, the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Pretty much all of you know it. We're going to talk about God provide for me. We're going to talk about this thing called daily bread, right, and what's going on there, why it's important. God forgive me. The interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer, it forgive me, it doesn't say of my sins, it means that... But it talks of my of my debts, a financial term. We're going to talk about why Jesus uses a financial term to describe forgiveness of sins, right? And then God strengthened me. strengthened me to to, to deliver me from temptation, deliver me from the evil one. And so this is the personal focus of what we're going to talk about this morning. My suggestion, encouragement to encourage with you, I'm going to try and break down for you what it means and why it's important, and give you the practical application in terms of how this should affect. Your prayer life. Let's jump right in. Let's talk about how we start out praying Forgive us our daily bread. I'm going to start with the first word. I don't have anything for you to fill out in your study guide, but it's important for you to understand. Listen, you are expected to encouraged by God to ask for stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. God, God, please give me this. God, please give me that. That's part of what He is expecting and wanting us to do. And don't trick yourself into thinking, well, He's God. He's got a big agenda. He's got a a world to run. He doesn't care about little stuff. I can only ask him for big stuff. No, ask him for for anything you want, small as it may be, kind of like that little boy who's at a restaurant with his grandpa, right, and and he decides he wants to pray for the meal. So he starts praying. He says, dear God, you know, thank you for the meal that you're going to provide. And then he adds, but dear God, I would be especially thankful if, if grandpa would buy me some ice cream at the end of the meal. And then he added, for liberty and justice for all, amen, right? Little well, kid, okay, he doesn't know what he's doing. He prays the best he can. A couple people hear this, they chuckle, except one older, cantankerous woman. She heard this prayer as well. And she says out loud to her friend, she goes, you see, that's what's wrong with America. Our young people don't even know how to pray, right? Well, this little boy, he's a small little boy. He he thinks he did something wrong and disrespected God in some way. So he starts to cry. And grandpa says, don't worry about her, you know. Your prayer was a good prayer. God was pleased with your prayer. And he says, besides, I think praying for ice cream is great. Because ice cream is good for the soul. Would you agree with that? Ice cream is good for the soul. So naturally, a grandparent in that situation, at the end of the meal, he gets his, his grandson a big chocolate, bowl of chocolate ice cream. Right? And they put it in front of him. This little boy did something pretty amazing. He didn't take a bite of it. What he did is he took that bowl and he took it over to the lady who had made that one comment and he put it right in front of her and he said this. He says, you know, I am here. ice cream is good for the soul and I think your soul needs it more than I do. <laughs> You got big stuff to pray for? You want to pray for ice cream? Ask for it. Ask for it, right? Now, Now, what we're going to do is, you see it on the screen, we're going to talk about kind of what to ask for and then when to ask for it. We're, we're encouraged to ask for Bread. Now, I don't know if it's just because of how my mind works, but, you know, th- that is the most staple food substance in the world. Beyond that, then it's rice and beans, right? Bread, rice, and beans. And so in my mind, I-, I don't know if it's just me, I start asking, well, can I ask for steak? Can I ask for lobster? How about sushi? fajitas? You know? Can I ask for Kung Pao chicken? I just like saying that. I don't like eating that. I just like saying Kung Pao chicken, right? <laughs> can I ask for cake? You know, am I allowed to ask for more than just bread? And the answer is absolutely yes. As long as two things are true. So ask whatever you want for as long as two things are true. Let's put it up on the screen. These two things need to be true. Number one, realize God won't give you everything you want, need, or greed. You don't do that with your kids, do you? I don't do it with my kids. I don't give my kids everything they ask for. That's not responsible parenting. Why don't we give our kids everything they ask for? Well, in my case, not in God's case, but in my case, limited resources. I don't have unlimited money or time. If I'm honest, sometimes it's just because I'm lazy. I don't want to get off the couch. If I'm really honest, sometimes it's because I'm selfish. With God, he doesn't give us everything we ask for for the last reason. I don't give my kids everything. Sometimes it's not good for them. Let's stay with the ice cream thing. theme. God I've got it. Dad. Cake, sorry, that is a little flip there. The dad, I don't want them to call me that. Dad, can we have ice cream for dinner and stay up till 2 a.m. in the morning every day? No. Why? Well, I don't mind giving you cake and ice cream, but if that's all you eat, it's not healthy for you. Right? Staying up till 2 a.m., it's gonna break you down and you know, and, and then there's this thing called school in a couple months that I want you to be ready. So the answer would be no. So ask them whatever you want. Like every once in a while, whether you realize it or not, you're asking for something that your Heavenly Father knows not good for you. But I want it. Tough. Go to bed. You know, eat your vegetables. Right? So just understand that. Ask for whatever you want. And the the second thing you you need to understand, and you see it up there on the screen, it's fine to ask for whatever you want, as long as you're content with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, even though you asked for T-bone steak. Do I have to say anything else? Does that make sense? God, I want a four-bedroom house, right, in a certain neighborhood. You can ask for it. He, he may end up getting you a, a, a one-bedroom townhouse in, in another neighborhood. God, I want i want this really fancy you know, car over here. He may end up giving you a 10-year-old a, a, a Pinto. You know? He, I, I want to go on to a European vacation. Oh, so do I. You may end up going camping for a week in Santa Cruz. So you ask for whatever you want but understand he may give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Be content anyways. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what to ask for. The, the next thing is when to ask for it. There's, and there's this emphasis on doing it in a daily fashion. I want you to ask for food or bread in a daily fashion. Now, this is not Jesus suggesting don't plan. I mean, most of us like to plan. I don't, want, I don't want to go to the grocery store every day. What we like to do is go to the grocery store maybe once a week and get as much as we can. And oh my goodness, I forgot one thing. And every once in a while you have to go back. This isn't him saying don't plan or don't budget. He's not saying that. He's trying to emphasize something different in this idea of daily, right? Well, what is he trying to emphasize? Let's put it up on the screen. If you want to jot it down, you can. Number one is he doesn't want us to be consumed with worry for tomorrow. Instead, live for and enjoy today, every day, today. Now, see, some of some of us are really good planners, some of us are good at, I, I, okay, well, I need to plan for this, and I need to plan for that, and this is what's coming up, and then the kid's college, and then there's retirement, and, and we're all about planning. But some of us take it too far, and some of us allow future issues, future problems, future financial things that are coming our way to steal the joy of right now, today. I, I'm fine, and God is fine. There's verses in Proverbs. Yeah, you, some of us need to plan ahead. Some of us need to work on a savings account. And some of us are so consumed with all the things that might could happen in the future. You're not enjoying right now. You know what I can tell about all of you right now, for the most part, you're healthy enough to be here. You are or else you'd be home in bed sick. I'm not saying everything's perfect, but there are things to be enjoyed right now. You know, what's interesting. If you have your Bible, this is one of the times to to reference it. So you have in Matthew chapter six. Um, You have a section starting in verse 9, we call the Lord's Prayer, and it goes through verse 13. Then you have a section on fasting, verse 16, which is kind of a continuation a little bit on prayer. Then you have a section in verse 19 on treasures in heaven. Invest in treasures in heaven. And then starting on verse 25, it's in the same page in my Bible, same chapter. You have from verse 25 all the way to verse 34, a whole section where Jesus spends talking about worry. Almost three times as long as the Lord's Prayer. Do you know why? he knows that some of us tend to worry and when you worry what you're ending up doing is you are robbing yourself and your family and the people immediately close to you you're robbing them of the joy of today i'm not saying it's perfect but there's something to be happy for and joyful today that section ends with this each day has enough trouble of its own would you agree with that it's not saying you can't think about and plan for and yeah tomorrow's going to have some issues but I want you, in a daily fashion, focus on today. We'll, we'll worry about tomorrow and next month and next year when it comes. We'll get there. The, the second idea is this. Don't just come to God. Don't just pray to Him occasionally. Instead, talk to Him every day. Talk to Him on a constant basis. Now, there's, a, there's kind of an overlap story that happens as it references daily bread. With the Jews in, in, in the book of Exodus, where they leave Egypt, they're heading to the promised land, they're in the desert, no grocery stores, no farms, no way to cultivate any food, and so God has to provide food for them. He provides a bread-like substance, what was it called? Manna, he provides this manna. Now, he provides it in a way so that it only lasts 24 hours. After 24 hours, it starts to rot. Question, Why? Does God not understand, you know, the, the chemistry of bread and how to make bread in a way, in a fashion that'll last like our bread does, some of it, for a week or even a longer? Why can't he do that? Does he not have the ability? To do, to, no, he has the ability. He could have made that bread last longer. Then why not? Why, why, why make me go out every day and pick up manna? Why can't I do it once a week and then put, you know why? He wants to have daily interaction with you. That's why he wants you to have daily dependence on him. That's why my parents are in town. They came for the, for Joshua's wedding. They've hung out with us for the last week or so. We've had a good time. Joshua was up the last couple of days. My my two daughters are at home for the summer, and, uh, and so, so every once in a while we have a family powwow, kind of one of those. Hey, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do tonight? You know, where do we want to eat? What what are we going to do for fun? Do we want to go bowling? Do we want to do miniature golf? Do we want to go to a movie? Should we just stay home and play games? We do one of those things, you know, and kind of get everyone's opinion and do the best thing we can. My mom, uh, she may not say it, but she always has the same answer. What do you want to do? You know what she wants to do all the time, every time? This is what she wants. Let's go in the living room and sit around and talk to each other for six hours. That's what she wants to do. Now, she may not always say that, but I know that's what she wants. And honestly, I, I tease her about it. But, but, you know, I'm fine with that as long as we're not doing it during a movie, which she also has a tendency to do. But we'll leave that be, right? Do you know why my mother wants to do that? Because she loves her family. She wants to know how every one of us is doing every part of our life. Now, here's the thing. You, you sort of expect that from an earthly mother or parent. You know what's crazy? Is your heavenly father desires the very same thing. See, in my mind, I would think he's too busy for me. He didn't have time for me. It's not like that. You know what it's like? He's in the living room and he's waiting for you. See, he's not going to force himself on you, but he's waiting in the living room. You've got to initiate it. It's called prayer. And so the practical application, ask for daily bread. Two applications. One, you should be asking for stuff. And my suggestion is you should have literally a sheet, maybe on your, a a, a literal sheet, or on your phone, or on your computer, a list of stuff. You know what I do? I have it at the office. I have a a one month list of stuff I pray for. You know why one month? Because it keeps you praying for the same stuff for at least one month. The other thing that's so encouraging is when God starts answering prayer, you start checking things off. Why I suggest a list is because if you're honest, sometimes you forget. Sometimes you get only the big ones, not the small ones. I'm just giving you, a put a list together. You know what they are. It's the stuff you need, stuff you want, right? Second thing that I want to encourage you, and I'm not asking you this to guilt you. I'm asking you to encourage you, challenge you, motivate you. Do you talk to God every day? He wants that. I'm not even saying you need that. I think you know that. I'm not even saying it would benefit you. I think you know that. I'm saying he wants that. He just wants to talk to you. Talk to them on a daily basis. And on a daily basis, ask them for stuff. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Um, the second thing, let's move on. Let's talk about the forgiveness section. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, there's a couple famous verses. Uh, you can look it up later. But in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, there's two principles that are talked about as it relates to sin forgiveness. One is that we all have sin in our life. Don't be that self-righteous person that pretends and gives off the vibe that you've got it all figured out. Now, every, I'm not saying you throw up on everyone else and tell them all your issues and problems all the time, but have the maturity to say, every, I have issues that I'm working on. You have issues. Your pastor has issues he's working on, right? Every one of us. That's what 1 John says, okay? Second of all, because of that, we should all apologize to God. See, that's the word you and I would use. The Bible uses the word like confession and, and things like that, repentance and You and I say apologize. That's what he's talking about. What's interesting is he uses, and I talked to you about this, this financial term. So right at the top, I have it right up there. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I have a business degree, but you don't need to have a business degree to know a financial principle. Here's the principle. You owe. You. There it is right there. I think only one person got it. You owe. You owe, you... That's it. That's how it works. See, you're not allowed tomorrow morning to call up your mortgage company and go, you know, this house payment, I mean, it happens every month. It cramps my style. I don't really like it. It's discouraging, depressing. It takes away funds that I want to put somewhere else. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, you could do that. But what would happen? They would take your house. You'd be sleeping in the prayer room. I mean, that's what would happen. You're not allowed to do that. You owe, you pay. Now, on the street, when you, when you owe on the street, when you owe and you don't pay, there's a guy that comes around. He's called a lone, a lone shark. He's not called a lone puppy. He's not called a lone bunny. He's called a lone shark because if you don't pay up what you owe, you're going to get bit, basically. God uses this same principle. Have you ever heard the phrase, you owe them an apology? It's this principle right here. He he uses kind of what we understand in the financial world to say, you know, when we do something, say something that is hurtful and wrong to other people. What you should do is go look them in the eye and say, you know, what I said, how I said it, but I know it was wrong. I know it was hurtful. I want to apologize to you. Will you forgive me? That's a good apology. Now, in this case, he says you should do that to God. You should do that to God on a consistent basis. It comes on the heels of daily asking for food. What comes next? You're going to ask for forgiveness. You go, well, what what am I supposed to ask for forgiveness for? I have some suggestions. They're in your study guide, but I'll show you the list right here. The first column is what's called the deadly sins. The seven deadly sins. It was come up, uh, this list was come up with by the church about several hundred years ago. It's what the church thought, right, are some of our most favorite popular sins. You've got anger. You've got pride, lust, laziness, envy, and gluttony. Any there you need to confess. The next are, are, are what I would term sins of the mouth of our tongue, the way we say things, the way we talk. You've got gossip, cussing, taking God's name in vain, dirty jokes, lying, or backbiting. The last column is, you know, it's a combination of other sins plus um, a couple Ten Commandments, so on and so forth. So you've got worry. We just talked about that. Worry is just not, it's not an emotional state of something you should work through. The Bible technically refers and references worry as sinful. Where you're trying to control and or do life outside of trusting and leaning on God. Oh, no, no. He gets it that it's tough. But you start going down the path of worry and anxiety, you're going outside of his will. He calls it a sin. We think of it as uh, it's an accepted sin, but it's in the Bible as a sin. Disrespecting authority. Now, this could be Ten Commandments. Disrespecting your parents. New Testament Romans, disrespecting your president or government officials, disrespecting your boss, disrespecting the teacher. It, the Bible doesn't say you have to agree with people in authority. It does say you need to respect their position. How you doing there? How about drunkenness? Drunkenness is the cousin of gluttony. Gluttony is too much food. Drunkenness is too much alcohol you got selfishness. You know what that is. Idolatry. We have a series on idolatry at the beginning of this year. Idolatry is when you and I value and love something, anything, more than we value and love God. It can be good stuff. If you value and love your kids more than God, that's idolatry. If you value and love the Warriors or the Giants or the Raiders or the Niners, it's more, that could be an idolatry. Anything good that you love and value more than God is technically... Idolatry. The last one is a blank. You can write in anything I've missed. Now, look at the screen. Look at your study guide. Is there anything you think you need to apologize to God for? Now, if you're having trouble, come up with something. I have a suggestion. All you need to do is take the study guide. I got the list in there. Hand it to the person right next to you, and they will circle three or four things they would need to work on. They would be happy to do that for you. Wouldn't that be a fun family exercise? (laughs) Remember First John, don't be that person that's sitting here thinking, I sure hope so-and-so is listening to this. No, it's you. It's you. Let me ask you a question. Show of hands. How many of you bathed, took a shower in the last couple days? Can I see your hands? Very nice. Now, there's a couple of you that didn't raise your hands. I want to, we're glad you're here, but I'm just suggesting for the sake of your neighbor, maybe next week you would consider a shower. I'm just saying, why do you take a shower? The average person in America Takes a shower It's just over once a day 1.3 or something like that We like to take daily showers Some of you do it at night Some of you do it in the morning Why? Because you don't want to stink. That's it I don't want to stink. I don't want to smell myself After two, three days of work And if you're honest Even if you don't mind your own stink, You don't want someone else to go What is What is Is that you? Is that you? You don't want that. We don't want to feel embarrassed, right? So sometimes we shower, not, we, we just don't want to stink, right? Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you took a spiritual shower? Because you see, if if, if you have a commitment to shower daily or every hour a couple of days, because you don't want to stink physically... Could I suggest that maybe spiritually the same thing has happened when you're going day after day after day after week after week not confessing. Hey, we all got something. Something has stank this morning. And all it is is got it. I'm sorry. You know I don't want it. I'm sorry. I just I want to ask for your forgiveness. I, I won't apologize. What we do? Does that make sense? Now, I so wish it ended right here. Got it. Move on. Fill out my blank. I'll start doing it on a consistent basis. And then Jesus really messes it up. I mean, big time messes it up. He takes this idea of seeking forgiveness from God and apologizing to God and completely turns it on its head. Oh, my goodness gracious. Messes us up with one two letter word. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I want you to ask for forgiveness. He says, forgive us our debt. Forgive me my sin as. In other words, in the same manner that I forgive people who sin against me, my debtors. Do you see what he's saying here? I want you to forgive me for all my crap and garbage the same way that I forgive anyone has hurt me. You know what I'm talking about. Your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your boss, your pastor, your priest, your teacher, your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker, all those people, all the things they've done. However you choose to forgive or not forgive them, in the same manner God will forgive you. In the same way I don't some of you know this. sometimes I don't watch a lot or all the Christian films. You know what I do watch? I watch all the Hollywood films that speak about Christians or the church because I'm very interested to see what the world, what culture, what Hollywood perceives of us, of me. It's very interesting. About 20 years ago, a movie was was released, maybe not quite so much, 15, and this is what it was called. It was called Saved. I do not recommend this movie. I didn't really think it was a great movie, or I don't think it was very entertaining. But boy, did it taught me a lot about what the world perceives when it comes to forgiveness as we deal with it. It's a story about a girl who's going to Christian high school, and she discovers that she's pregnant. And after she discovers she's pregnant... The the rebellious kids, the punk kids, the kids that are always in trouble, that group, you know what they do? They encourage her and they put their arm around her and they say things like, we'll be there for you. We'll help you out. I know. Yeah, it's going to be tough. That's what that group does. Then there's another group of kids. It's all the Christian kids, the good kids, the smart kids, the go to church kids, those kids, you know what they do? They treat her like a common whore. They're indignant at her behavior. They're offended. They question her love for Jesus. And of course, what does the school do? The Christian school expels her. Now, let's make sure we get this one thing straight. I'm not condoning sex outside of marriage. I'm not condoning that at all. What I want to point out to you, however, is what the world perceives in terms of how we treat people that fail morally, especially in our own church. They can't figure out how on the one hand we sing about amazing grace and then fail to give it when people most need it. Does that make sense? And why it is important to you is as I forgive them, God, go ahead and treat me the same way. Let me give you a very quick overview of how Jesus teaches Forgiveness in the New Testament. Real quick. Let's put it up there. There's three chapters. John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery. She's literally caught in bed with her lover. Now in those days, in the Jewish communities, when someone was caught in adultery, the law said you could kill them. And so that's what is happening. With the leaders of the town, they've dragged her out of bed. She barely has her clothes on. She has a bed sheet she's covered herself over. They have her in the town square. And they're about ready to take bricks and rocks and throw them at her. And you know the story, right? Jesus shows up and he stops the whole deal. Okay, go ahead. Whoever does not have a sin, throw the first rock, right? Well, that, that catches them in their tracks. What, what is not emphasized, though, is what Jesus whispers and says quietly into the ear of the woman as she's walking away. Do you remember what he says to her? Your sins are forgiven. And then he says, go and sin no more. In other words, change your ways. I, I will forgive you fully completely i will embrace you you're back in but change your ways so none of this come to me when you feel bad about what you've done ask for forgiveness turn around and go do the same thing now i got a problem says jesus i'm willing to forgive you but change your ways make some adjustments Second chapter, Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. You've heard this story, right? He asks for his inheritance from his dad. He goes off to a, to a foreign land. He blows it. He parties. You know, he's buying coke. He's drinking up. He's doing everything. Then he realizes, oh my goodness, I messed up. Not only do I offend my dad because essentially asking for an inheritance before my dad's dead is like basically saying to him, I wish you were dead. And then I disobeyed my Heavenly Father by how I behave and live. He realizes the mistake he made, and he starts heading back home. Now, the story really emphasizes this dad. But you know what's interesting? Remember what the boy, what the son is doing when he's walking home. Do you remember what he's doing? He's practicing his forgiveness speech or his apology speech. He's practicing it in his mind, and then I'm going to tell my dad this, and then I'm going to apologize for that, and then I'm going to ask him if he'll let me be one of his servants. And it's this idea that, you know, uh, when you mess up, apologize. Not just to to, to God, to the person that you hurt. Apologize to them. Look them in the face and say that what I did, how I said it was wrong. I apologize. Will you forgive me? You've got to say that. And then the last chapter, Matthew chapter 18, sometimes it's referenced as the story of the unmerciful servant, but it's really a story about forgiveness, right? And the idea there is not not that we should apologize to others, but when other people hurt and wrong us, you are called to give and offer forgiveness. Here it comes, ready? Even if they don't apologize. Even if they don't apologize. But you don't know what they did, Pastor, what they did. Time out. You want to know how Jesus ends the story in Matthew chapter 18? You don't want how he ends it? Who the heck do you think you are? You're not going to apologize to them? Who do you think you are? All the garbage I've forgiven you, and now you're not going to forgive them? God doesn't say to minimize what they, ah, what you did is no big deal. No, what someone did was a big deal, and it was hurtful, and it was wrong. He's not asking you to minimize what they did. He's not asking you to pretend like nothing ever happened, and you can go camping with them. No. Things might change, but you better never play games where you accept the forgiveness and grace of God for all of your garbage and then refuse to forgive someone else. And you know how the story ends in Matthew 18? Almost the exact same words as Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, so on and so forth. Daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. That's the Lord's Prayer. You know what Jesus does right after? It's almost like he goes, oh, you know, let me explain one thing about the forgiveness thing. It's not in the prayer, but I want to make sure you understand it. And it's right there in verse 14. If you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, if he stopped right there, some of us could wiggle out of what he's implying, but he doesn't let us wiggle out. Look at what he says. If you don't forgive others, you know, your boss, your parents, your kids, all those people we talked to. If you don't, your Heavenly Father is not going to forgive your sin. Could, Could I just make a comment here? I don't think Jesus is bluffing. You don't forgive them, fine. I don't forgive you. Do you realize some of us have an unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship with God simply because we won't forgive someone and what they've done to us? This is a big deal. It's a big deal. So there's two concepts here. the concept of make sure you're apologizing to God. take a spiritual bath, shower, and as you're going about life, choose to offer forgiveness. It's not easy. The world tells you to, you know, get get your revenge, and, the, and God says, no. Let me take care of that. I'll, I'll I'll even up the score at some point. You let me handle that. The last thing He talks about is temptation. He almost preempts what we're talking about here. So you don't even have to ask for forgiveness if you can handle this, right? Um, you can look it up on your own. First Corinthians 10 gives us some concepts r- r- related to temptation. Temptation comes to everyone. Every one of us will this next week be tempted to do something outside of God's will count on it expect it look for it it's going to happen every single one of us two temptation is not a sin god doesn't hold you accountable to how you're tempted he holds you accountable to what you do with the temptation that's very important so don't guilt yourself just because you're experiencing temptation third temptation often follows times of spiritual growth this is the enemy counterattacking you see if you're if you're here you're trying to live for jesus that's what i'm assuming I want to please him. If you try and please him, Satan's not happy with that. But he's going to try and counterattack. And this is what he tries to do many times. And the last one, and the most important one. Temptation can always, every single time, always be resisted and overcome. Every time. And that's the promise that is given to us. So now the question becomes, how? Because the Lord's Prayer says, lead me on to temptation, right? Deliver me from that. How? How do I do that? It's one thing to say it. How do I do that? Three things. Here's how we're going to wrap up. Number one is realize the cost. Realize the cost. In your study guide, some of you may want to do it this week. I have the reference for James chapter 1 verses 12 to 15. James 1, 12 to 15 gives us the domino effect of how we end up sinning. Here's how it works. It starts with desire. I desire something that's not in that book. I desire to do something that's outside of God's will. It stops with a desire. And maybe it's something I see on TV or I hear from my friends. A desire. The desire, second domino, goes to deception. Now, this is self-talk in my mind. Where I start looking back at the desire and go, you know, it's really not that bad. Everyone's doing it. In fact, I I know of people at church that are doing that right now. And they seem to be doing pretty good with Jesus. You know, it's, it's, you know what, maybe, the, maybe I'm misinterpreting what the Bible says. I mean, I really love my boyfriend or girlfriend. It, it's not that big deal to pay someone under the table. And on and on and on, we start justifying, we start reasoning in our head about this, that, or the other. I'm not driving, so it's not the end of the world if I had too much. Deception, my mind. So it goes from desire to deception. And the next one is disobedience. Now you follow through on the desire. You've taken care of what's going on in your mind. You've justified but it's not the end of the world. And you know, God forgives anyway. I mean, I heard that. He forgives me completely. I'll say I'm sorry when I'm done. But you actually do it. So you go desire, deception, disobedience. You want to know what the last one is? Death. It literally says that in James, death. You know, it also says it in, in Genesis chapter 3. God creates this big garden and he says, okay, Adam, Eve, i got this deal with you. I want you to obey me. There's some things I want you to do. There's some things I don't want you to do. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to twist your arms. You do whatever you want to do. But some things you do, some things you don't want to do. There's this tree right over here. We're going to call it uh, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat from that tree. You can have anything else you want. I don't want you to eat from that tree. By the way, if you do eat from that tree, you will surely, you're going to die. Now, death in all kinds of ways. Death physically, death financially, death relationally, death in your marriage, death in your career, death in your reputation. I mean, on and on. Something always does. Always. I told some of you this story before. Some Eskimos in Alaska, when they want to kill a wolf, you know what they do? They take a big blade, big knife, They dip it in blood and they freeze it, and they dip it in blood and they freeze it, and then they dip it in blood and they continue this process until the entire blade is covered in blood. Then they go out in the snow, out in the middle of nowhere, and they put that blade in the ground with the blade with the blood and the blade pointing upwards, and they go home. And they wait. In the middle of the night, that wolf shows up, and they're like, "Oh my goodness, really? This is delicious." And they start licking away at this at this blood. I can't believe I got this to And they just start licking away. It tastes so good. And sin, it always tastes good. That's why we do it. And he starts licking away. What happens to the wolf is that the, the cold blood, it literally numbs his tongue. At some point in time, the blade becomes exposed. He cuts his tongue. He doesn't even realize at some point in time, he's not anymore licking the blood off of the blade. He's literally drinking his own blood. The Eskimo shows up the very next morning and what he finds is a wolf that has bled out. And what the Eskimo does for the wolf Satan does to our soul. Now why am I saying this to you? It's motivation. See, I know there are certain things that if I do, I run the risk of my marriage dying. I run the risk of my career dying. I run the risk of my body dying. I run the risk of friendships and reputation dying. And just knowing that is motivation. I don't want that. Do you? It gives you the energy to fight more. Does that make sense? So just realize you're over here right now. And some of you just looking at desire. And I'm telling you, down the dominoes, there's something called death. Literally or or figuratively, something always dies. The second one is request help. Really, this the Lord's Prayer. James says the same thing. God, help me here. I I need strength. The other thing it says in James is ask someone else around you. You're you're sitting next to people that actually like you. They care for you. Some of them love you. Right? And if you have the the, the willingness to be open and vulnerable and say, I kind of struggle with this. If someone ever says that to you, help them. Encourage them. Be a cheerleader to them. You know? We use the term an accountability partner. But to me, sometimes that sounds like a police officer. Be a a cheerleader. How you doing? Be strong, right? Live for Jesus. The last one, how do you resist temptation? Is you need to resist the source. Know what is causing you. Now there's three reasons why we sin. Flesh, people, Satan. Flesh is what the Bible refers to as our sin nature. Here's what we know. Every one of us is born with two things. We're all born in the image of God, which means every single one of us has some good in us. Everyone in the world has some good in us because everyone is made in the image of God. But we are also born with a sin nature. Do you know this, right? You don't have to teach kids to disobey. You know this, right? Right now in that back room in the nursery, kids are beating each other right now. It's happening. We're doing the best to keep them off each other, but it's happening. Your kids, right? Why? Okay. Why? Because they are born with a simple nature. Sometimes it's no one's fault. It's not my dad's fault. not my boss's fault. It's my, it was, It's just me. It came right out of me. The other one is people. Proverbs talks about this a lot, right? We talk about it as pure pressure. It's sometimes it's not pressure. It's just influence. They're not pressuring me at all. I just went right along with them. And sometimes other people, other friends, influence us to go down a path. Ah, I should do that. That's why parents are so keen on knowing who their kids are hanging out with and what friends do you have. Because we know, when we were in your shoes, that friends influence. It doesn't end when you turn 19. It just continues on. And the last one is Satan. Right? That's the one we all think about. But what you want to do is when you have a temptation, try and identify what's the source. I realize Sometimes it's all of them mixed up a little bit. But what do I do? It depends. Let me give you the answers right there. Let's put the first one up. When you are tempted just by your own sin nature, obey God, grow spiritually. That's the answer. Obey God, grow spiritually. It's not a good illustration. I'm not for it, but it it really communicates what I'm trying to teach here. So you got a guy that has a hundred dogs. He takes care of a hundred dogs. And he does it because he runs a little business of dog fighting, right? And so what he does, he takes care of the dogs all week, and on the weekend, he has these, he, these dogs, and he has them fight one another, and he has guys come in, and he takes a gambling. That's his business, right? So that's what he does. And uh, but what's interesting is that he, as the dog owner, can also bet on the dogs. And, and, uh, and people have noticed that, you know, he has this dog fight this dog, and he makes a bet. And and one week he bets on this dog, but the next week he bets against this dog. And they can't figure it out, but here's what they've noticed. Every single time he picks the winning dog. Every single time he picks who's going to win. And so one time someone comes up to him, how do you do that? I mean, you've got a hundred dogs. You're not always betting on the same dog. How do you know what dog's going to win? He says, it's really, really simple. I always bet. On the dog I've been feeding that week. Question What dog are you feeding? You feed your sin nature or you feed your spiritual nature? Whatever you feed, I know, and be honest, you know what dog is going to win. You want to defeat temptation? Feed the right dog. Obey God. Grow spiritually. Does that make sense? Next one is people. I don't know how else to put this. Is it time for new friends? And I hate saying this. Because the last thing I want you to do as a pastor is basically bail on your pagan, unsafe friends. I really do. But here's the thing. Some of us don't have the strength or the ability to influence them more than they influence us. And so if you are at that point where you're like, I like you. But every time I'm with you, I end up doing whatever. Maybe you need some new friends. Or maybe you need a different, not to spend as much time with them. It's just, just be honest, right? So don't bail on all your unsaved friends and just hang out with these people sitting around you, right? I, I want you to engage with them, but have the maturity to know, are they pulling me in the right direction or wrong direction, Okay? So, if it's flesh, obey God. If it's people, is it time for new friends? If it's Satan, what do you do? It's the same thing. I don't care how you write this down. You fight, you battle, you brawl, you war, you skirmish, you smack them in the face, you punch them in the gut, you kick them in the whatever you want to write in there. You get my point. Stop rolling over and playing dead. Every single temptation you can win. Everyone. So, don't give up. Fight fight. There's a popular preacher story that has been told for years. It's a story about the small town in Kentucky, right? Small town years ago. And this small town has one, one general store. You know, they they sell some food and nails and stuff like that. And then they have a, a church, right? And all the farmers in the surrounding area, they come to that church on Sunday. And then all of a sudden there's this atheist guy that moves in town and he opens up a whiskey distillery. So the people at church are not happy, right? They are not happy. They're like, so they start praying to God. Oh, dear God, do something about this man. Do something about this whiskey distillery, right? Shut down his business and the evil that is coming in on and on to our town. So one Wednesday night, they're praying about this, about the whiskey distillery, right? And so um, right in the middle of prayer meeting, this storm comes through and there's, there's lightning. And one of the lightning bolts hits the whiskey distillery, catches on fire, burns to the ground. Next Sunday in church, the pastor stands up. You want to know what he preached on? The power of prayer. Yay, God. Look what God, how powerful God is. At the very same time, the insurance company has communicated to the owner of the whiskey distillery, we're not going to pay for damages because we consider it to be an act of God. We don't cover those kind of things, so we're not paying for it. You want to know what the owner did? He sued the church and the members. And he said to them, you conspired with God To do what happened in my my distillery. And they're like, we had nothing to do with it. What are you talking about? So they went to court. And the judge, hearing this case, said the following I find this case very perplexing. We have a situation where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer, and defendants, the church members, who are denying the power of prayer. You've got the power of prayer. It works. You've got the privilege of prayer. The fact that he even wants to talk to us is crazy. The last two weeks, we've been talking about the process of prayer. When I pray, what do I say? What do I say? I'm going to have the band come up right now. And normally what I do is this. Okay, we bring the lights down. Let's start playing the piano. We're all going to close our eyes. We're going to pray. We're going to pray with our eyes open you ever prayed with your eyes open? One of the times that I like to pray a lot is when I drive. And when you drive, you should probably pray with your eyes open. I want you to listen to how the Lord's Prayer sounds. Ready? I, I, I don't want you to write it. I just want you to feel it. Ready? Here's how it sounds. Dear God, it's me. It's David. I'm glad I don't have to come to you as I would a judge or a four-star general or a president. I'm so incredibly grateful that because I've given my life to Jesus, I get to call you Dad. I'm thankful that you want to have a relationship with me. Heavenly Father, I want, to, I want to take some time to hallow your name, to respect who you are, to honor you for your character. I want to take a moment right now to praise you and to honor you for being an all powerful God, for being an all knowing God. I'm incredibly grateful because I know I don't always do it with my kids. I, you're so patient with me, you're so kind to me, and so merciful to me, and so loving to me all the time. You're the perfectly heavenly Father, and I honor and I hallow you for who you are. But Father, I also want to honor you when I stop praying, I get in my car, and I head to the office. Father, the people at work, They know I'm a Christian and they know I go to church every once in a while. And Father, the way I handle the clients, the way I talk to my co-workers, what I say behind my boss's back when he doesn't hear me and the others do. Father, I want to do it in such a way. I want to live in such a way that I honor your name, not just in my prayer life, but in my actual life. Dear Heavenly Father, before I pray for my kingdom and my job and my family and all of my stuff, I want to pray for your kingdom. Father, I'm thankful for my church. We got all kinds of things going on and all kinds of fun stuff, but we got some issues going on right now. Looks like we're gonna have to move. Father, if that happens, I pray that you'd be with the leaders. I pray that we would have a team of good people that could build those walls and I'm sucky at building walls, but Father, maybe I can do something else. Work with the kids or work with the youth or be an usher or help with hospitality. Father, I pray for your kingdom in my church. Father, I pray for the other ministries in this community that I live in. Like Young Life and like the rescue mission. And what they're doing to try and reach people for you and draw them to Christ. I pray for your kingdom. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for Kelly Kosky in South Africa. I know he's alone. He feels lonely. Be with him encouraging. I pray for Shane and Jessica. I know they're really busy now. Father, I want your kingdom to grow. Your kingdom before my kingdom. Father, I do, I do have some daily needs. I got that issue of my job. I heard that clunking in my car. I'm so hopeful it's not a big deal because I can't afford it. I pray for my kid. He's going into a new school and I just pray that he, she would make friends and it would be a good adjustment. Father, I got family coming in. You know, the last time when they came in, it was not good. And I just pray that there would be peace. And so I got these things that I want to bring to you, their daily needs, their requests that I have. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I want to take a moment and apologize to you. Because I spoke to my my son in an angry fashion the other day. When I was at the golf course and I lost that one ball, I was also angry and said words I shouldn't have said. I was on the computer the other day and I was looking at things and sites I know I shouldn't be on and I just, I want to say I'm sorry. Father, as I'm talking about that, I... Help me stand tall in front of temptation. The last time I went over to my friend's house, I know I drank a little too much. Father, I don't want to come across as I'm self-righteous, but Father, when I'm in that setting, give me the discipline to have a beer or two beers and that's it. Help me stand tall. Father, I'm grateful I get to talk. That's what it sounds like. Pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the power of prayer, the privilege of prayer. These last couple of weeks we've talked about the process and kind of what to say, what not to say, how to say it. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and now no one's looking, I'm not even opening my eyes. I'm wondering how many people here would be willing to say, This week, Every day of this week, by show of hands, how many of you are willing to put five to seven minutes in to talk into your Heavenly Father? Put your hand up right now. Every day, five to seven minutes. Heavenly Father, I know, because I know this church, hands are up everywhere. Father, we will come to you knowing that there is power in prayer, knowing we are privileged to talk to you. But also, because of what we learn, learned, knowing what to say and how to say it. Father, as we wrap up our service, we got one prayer request. We are going to bring our tithes and offerings to you right now. We ask that ministry leaders would maximize what we're going to give, that we would use it for your kingdom. We give back to you because we know you own it all. We give back in obedience, but we give back also knowing the promises you've given us when we give. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people say.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.